Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Oscar Trimboli. Oscar, welcome to the show. G'day, Henry. Looking forward to listening to you. As am I. I'm, I'm uh, glad to have you with us. This is a topic I'm really interested in getting into today. So today we're going to chat with Oscar about his entrepreneurial journey, and we're going to focus on improving listening skills. He's an expert in this on this topic, listening for leadership, as I'm referring to this conversation today, to improve ourselves and for us small business owners to improve how we go about communicating with our, our teams, our staff, our peers, our customers, etc. Uh, if you want to receive more information about the How of Business podcast, including links to the show notes pages, then you can simply text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. So uh, Oscar Tromboli is an ex-executive coach. Uh, he's a speaker and an author. The book is called Deep Listening, Impact Beyond Words and Breakthroughs, How to Confront Your Assumptions. And we'll be talking about some of the things he covers in that book. And he's passionate about using the gift of listening to bring positive change in homes and workplaces and in the world. And of course, for us as small business owners and how we can be better at entrepreneurship and business ownership. Oscar is a marketing and technology industry veteran with over 30 years experience across general management, sales, marketing, and operations for companies like Microsoft, PeopleSoft, Polycom, Professional Advantage, and Vodafone. He lives in Sydney, Australia, so thanks again for being up at 7 a.m. the next day there from when we're recording this in the States. So, Oscar Tromboli, welcome again to the show. Thanks, Henry. Um, I'm an early starter, so no problems for me. I uh, always find the beginning of the day is the clearest part of the day, both in terms of thinking and getting things done. So, what a wonderful way to spend uh, the next hour. Wonderful. Thanks for that. All right, so let's get started with uh, your career, your journey. Um, there was a couple of quotes in, in, in one of the bios I found, I think, on your website that were interesting and inspirational. You talk about the influence that, that your father had on you from a work ethic perspective. So I'm, I'm always curious of those early influences that end up kind of manifesting themselves, themselves in our lives later. So share a little bit about that, if you would. Yeah, I'm fortunate enough to be the son of two first-generation post-war migrants from Italy uh, who, who came to Australia from completely different parts of Italy, so kind of a modern romance for them to meet. <laughs> but uh, Dad ran a, a, a small business concreting in the building industry, and growing up, uh, school vacation was spending time with Dad in the truck. So I didn't actually know um, there was such a thing as vacation to go to the beach or go camping until um, I reached my 20s. And then I realized that uh, other people had vacations. Um, mm. Dad was very clear to me. He said, look, you're never going to be the smartest in the room, no matter which room you're in. The only thing you can control, Oscar, is, is how hard you work. And I think he instilled in me through example, uh, he was up at quarter past five every morning so it's probably no coincidence that that's the time I get up every morning mm. as well and he, he was incredibly professional at what he did um, he built the foundations of homes and factories and buildings so if he didn't get that right um, there, there could be some big issues and I always admired 
um, the group, there was a working group of about six people in the middle of a Sydney summer, which is well over 100 degrees. Um, they'd be out there working. They wouldn't complain. They knew what they had to do. They got it done. The quicker they got it done, the quicker they could finish up. So as my career evolved, um, my work ethic also became, um, I guess, a, a curse. Mm -hmm. I, my answer to every problem was working harder. And then someone pointed out to me, um, maybe rather than only hard work, look at hard work and smart work and think about how you can use each appropriately. So I guess hard work overdone can become a blind spot. You can become a workaholic. You can get mono-focused and forget about why we're doing this, our families, our health, um, and for joy. So dad's still alive and still reinforces that message even today when I see him. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was thinking as, as the problem with it, as I suffer from it as well, is that that's, that's how we, we solve every problem. But I've also, I've had it told to me by a lot of other people as well. I'm curious to your thoughts that a lot of solving, it has to do with learning how to say no to certain things. Yeah. And uh, working with some of my clients, uh, one of the very famous management writers, Michael Porter says the key to strategy is what you omit it's what you choose not to do mm. and it was only um, a couple of days ago where i was going through my list of what 2019 uh, is for me and i always am very deliberate if i'm adding something to a list i've got to also remove something from a list um, so i can make the space to do it so i think in challenging the very concept that time, we treat time as infinite, but it's mm -hmm. the only resource we have that is finite. And money can be made. It's relatively infinite. We, we, can, we can have a mindset around that. But the reality is time is something we've got to be deliberate in choosing. And even working with the leaders in organizations that I work with, we, we spend a lot of time looking at their schedules and going, Where's the, where's the open space? Where's the space for creative thinking? Where's the, state, where's the space for things just to emerge? And if your day is just crammed with doing the next transactional task or the next tactic, you can't really step up and look forward and make an impact in a different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great perspective there. You touched on one thing that's interesting. Did you ever see your dad take time to just sit and contemplate and think? Look, my dad was a, a voracious reader. He still is today. So uh, whether I was reading um, the broadsheet journal newspaper in our in our city or reading books, um, th that was his thinking time. And uh, he he was he was very much you know once he'd come home from uh, work, he made sure that all the tools were clean. That was part of him being professional mm -hmm. and the paperwork was done. And then that was his time either with us or with his, his reading to help him to think. And I think he's one of the things he's given me is the joy of learning. So um, the opportunity that in, in a book you can find new worlds, you can find new ideas, and you're not bound by where you live or even the time you uh, currently occupy. So I think he instilled in me that um, learning is a lifelong pursuit. And if you think you know it all, you're definitely wrong. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Very interesting. All right. So you started nonetheless a career in the corporate world, right? Yeah, it was quite funny because um, dad said to me, accountants will never be out of work. So go and, go and qualify to become an accountant. And um, my first couple of um, six months in, in accounting, it was very quick that my manager <laughs> realized I had dyscalculus, which means I changed numbers around. So if you would read me out a telephone number and I would write it down. 16 out of 20 times in this little test that my manager set up meant that I was writing the numbers down the wrong way. So four out of 20 were wrong, which is a big gap. So it kind of limits your accounting career. (laughs) And uh, as a result, uh, uh, the owner of the accounting firm said, what do you know about computers? I said, nothing. He said, at least you're honest. Um, But he made a very interesting point. He said, I know you're a hard worker and you want to learn. So you'll figure this out. So in those days, and I'm aging myself here, we were working on A3 pieces of paper, which were the actual spreadsheets of the time mm. on with pencil and paper. And so working with the typing pool, as well as the accounting staff to computerize that. And that led me to a career that I've implemented and installed um, well, well over 500 accounting software programs in um, micro businesses, small businesses, and large businesses. So I've got a good understanding of what the drivers are for businesses that are succeeding and those that are also not succeeding. And that kind of meandered into uh, a career which moved from all different types of roles. I was again because I was a learner. I was always trying to find out what's what's involved in that role. So I, I went I went from training to consulting work to running a consulting team and then I was curious about sales and I was curious about operations and I was curious about marketing and my last role in corporate 11 years at at Microsoft uh, finishing up with a a role as a marketing director but it was during that time the organization itself was going through a massive transition they were selling software that basically you'd say to a customer pays a thousand dollars you can keep that software and use it for as long as you want. But we had new competition coming into the market and the competitors were saying basically use this software on a monthly basis, use it over the internet. So we had to completely shift and change not only how software was used, but we had a reseller network of 30,000 small, medium businesses in Australia who sold and provided value-added services around that. So my vice president at the time asked me, to run workshops with the owners to explain to them what this change meant in terms of profitability, in terms of cash flow, in Mm. terms of commissions and the way they paid their staff and what she picked up on quite quickly. But more importantly, what was being noticed by the reseller network is it was this combination of my broad skill set with an understanding of technology, with an understanding of accounting, that people started saying, can you come in and present to our teams? And I kind of went, look, I've got a day job. <laughs> I'm, I'm here to, to, you know, move as much software for Microsoft as possible. And I, and I spoke to Tracy, my vice president, and she said, no, get out there and do it. You're the only one who, in our organization who can really articulate the kind of change that these people need to understand. It's not only tech. It's about their people. It's about their strategy and many other things. And in that became the emerging threads of what will become my business, Tracy said to me, you know, there's a a profession 
called the business coach? And I said, no, I have no idea what that is. And she <laughs> said, well, go and check it out. So I spent the next five years studying, learning, and getting the highest global credentials in this because when I do something, I do it properly. And customers and reseller partners started asking me, can you do some moonlighting? Can you come and see us on the weekends? Can you see us after hours? And Microsoft does have then, I don't know about now, but I had a very strict moonlighting policy that you couldn't. And eventually, um, speaking to my manager at the time, they said to me, look, this is what you're meant to do. This is what brings you joy. This is your calling. I know you love working at Microsoft, but it's not about leaving Microsoft. It's about going towards what you love. Mm. So don't, don't, don't leave with a sad heart. Go and embrace that potential in the future. They also pointed out something else to me. They said, if you could codify how you listen to people, because when you listen to people, it's extraordinary. Not only do you hear them, but you see who they actually are. If you could codify that, and when they talked about codify, they meant making it into software, uh, mm -hmm. you could change the world. And it was an interesting kind of challenge in writing the books and making jigsaw puzzles and playing cards and actually going through the process now with a research organization to build a software as a small business. Uh, I can see how that's come to life. It's kind of taken me 10 years to think about it and understand how to do it. But that's the learning for me that um, I never had a plan or a goal. I wasn't a big one for 10-year visions or anything else like that. And what emerged in front of me was very organic. And, uh, and now I'm really obsessed about the commercial cost of not listening, whether that's for political parties, governments, businesses, homes, workplaces, the cost of not listening is really big. Wonderful. Okay. So a lot there that I want to break down. So it seems like if I'm following correctly, that this first insight for maybe you should focus on helping people develop listening skills came from that that guidance while you were still at Microsoft, they observed that that was a strength. Is that, so is that the initial kind of, hmm, that might, that might be something I would focus on? Uh, I, I struggle to understand how you could make money doing that. I yeah. struggle to understand um, how you would even teach that. Uh, listening's abstract, listening's obtuse, listening's very conceptual, listening's simultaneous. It's, you do it while you're speaking. And then I started to do some research and realized that over half our day is spent listening. Minimum 55% of your day is going to be spent listening. And the more of a leadership role you enjoy, the more likelihood that that number is going to be higher. If you run your own business, it's going to be about 70%. And if you're an executive leader in large corporations, it's about 80%. But mm. the statistic that struck me 2% of people have been taught how to listen. Mm. So what I realized was with my marketing hat on, there's a huge opportunity, but I also realized there weren't many people participating in that marketplace. The sign of a vibrant marketplace is one with competition. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people practicing or training in this space were academics and people from the health systems, nurses and doctors, as an example, because the cost of not listening in medicine is massive. Um, 
it, it's malpractice suits, mm-hmm. but it's also patients that have um, the wrong um, limb amputated or the preparation for a, an operation could go horribly wrong as well. So I, with my marketing hat on, I went, mm, I wonder if there's a market here, but the reality is, as anything I've learned, is test the market with, yeah. with conversations. And uh, I started testing it with clients who had come across from the technology advisory work that I was doing and started saying, um, can I run a pilot workshop, something I'm trying to try around listening. And then they gave me extraordinary feedback. It said probably it's more potent, more powerful than the advisory work I was doing because it's a skill they can take to home. It's a skill they can take to work as well. Yeah, of course, universally applied as, as we'll get into. I want to take one step back for a moment, though. Did you have aspirations of being your own boss early on in your career or at any point in your career? I mean, it seems like this happened more organically, but, but tell me about whether you had any of those desires as you were going through your career. Look, I was really fortunate. Um, every job that I ever had, I really loved. It, it taught me something new. So I, I was never somebody who was going, how the heck can I get out of this um, prison that is corporate life? That wasn't my experience. My experience was um, I was fortunate enough always to be in organizations that were growing. If, if you're in the tech industry, you're either growing or you're dying. Um, there's a famous quote that says um, tech industries like like a shark if it's not moving it's dead so mm-hmm. if you weren't growing you you weren't um you weren't going forward and and staff would be shared and the kinds of organizations i was working with always enjoyed growth which meant that the opportunities for me were great um i think in the back of my mind there was kind of always an admiration for the smaller businesses out there but it was never something that i went that that's something that mm-hmm. i see as something i want to do uh, and yet now I sit in a small business with myself and two other people who help me out, amazing support to me. And I kind of think there isn't anything I'd rather be doing right now than doing this because I make so many mistakes every day um, and just trying more things, I guess. And when when I hear the mistakes come back, maybe it's um, sales I haven't made or maybe it's course design that I've set up that isn't really hitting the mark with people who attend the course and say, you know, this was good, but you needed to tweak it that way. And uh, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't go. That's, that's Mm -hmm. the burning thing. That's the light on the horizon. But but Um, touch on what you're elaborating on now. What, what is it that, that you enjoy the most now about being your own boss? Is it, is it that ability to have that impact? Nobody, nobody can control how much impact you can have. It seems like that's part of it. Yeah. We, in, in our practice, we have a quest and the quest is to create a hundred million deep listeners in the world by 2030. And that's a, absurd aspiration for a guy in Sydney, Australia, that technology has taught me that that kind of scale is real. Um, So on the one hand, I enjoy the opportunity uh, that that brings, anything's possible. And the opposite is true. So many days are also filled with frustration 
going, I could have made more progress today. Why didn't I make more progress? Why did I get distracted with these things today? Um, oh, I wish I wish the customers would respond to the proposals quicker. Mm-hmm. All these kinds of things are it's kind of the duality of, of running a business. You, you move at the speed of your customers and no matter how lofty your ambition is, the reality is you're always at the intersection of your idea and the marketplace. And um, you're getting feedback every day. In corporate roles, as a contrast, we were working on goals that were um, two, three, five-year uh, horizon, things that we were trying to achieve and would take months quarters, years to get kind of feedback that you get real time every day when you're in a small business. And so I I enjoy that because there's no place to hide. For me, everything I've achieved is because of the team we've built and how we do it. And every failure equally is mine as well. So there's, there's nobody to blame but the guy I look at in the mirror every morning when I wake up and shave. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a big part of it. So you and I, I think, uh, probably crossed, well, we were at the same place company-wise. I was at PeopleSoft in pre-sales for a brief stint while you were there as well. But obviously, I was here in the Dallas area. I was doing pre-sales for the uh, uh, public sector, a higher ed public sector group Mm. here in Dallas. Yeah, it was a great great company at the time. You know, Duffield really was a great leader, I think. Um, Still is. And still eggs, exactly. He's, he's replicated. And I have friends who have gone over to um, his current business, his current company. But, uh, and then with Microsoft, we, we may have, we potentially could have crossed paths. I did some third-party training for Microsoft partners uh, through a company called Infomentus that I had the pleasure of working for. We did sales training for Microsoft around the world. Never got to Australia. My, my friend David and co-host David Begin did. But anyway... Uh, similar similar paths there, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, all right. So l- let's dig in a little bit deeper now into listening. I, I think a place to start, I wanted to ask you, you know, what do you mean by listening is a leadership issue? But what really compelled me is when you said you highlighted that only, as you said, 2% of the people in the world are taught to listen. And immediately I say, well, wait a second. Didn't I, didn't I get taught to listen in school and to sit and pay attention? And And so let's start there. How is that not learning how to listen? Well, your first listening teacher was your parents, your grandparents, your extended family members. They were role modeling how they interpreted listening. Uh, But when it comes to maths, you know, um, add, subtract, divide, multiply, and nobody knows what that syntax is for listening. Nobody can remember their listening teacher at school. If it's something you do for half the day, wouldn't you think it would at least get a, a subject mm-hmm. or a topic within a subject? You were never taught it explicitly. You're not taught it at college explicitly. Even teachers aren't taught how to listen. So the frustration is that in not being taught how to listen, we make it up as we go. And in modern world today, we have more distractions than ever before. And these are huge barriers that get in the way of our listening. We listen in black and white, but if you listen deeply, you listen in technicolor. And when I say black and white, people have been taught how to hear words and how to see body language. 
But when you listen deeper, you'll listen in a wide range of colors, at least five levels of listening. In most of us have only ever been taught one way to listen. And the reality is when you are in your mother's womb at the age of 20 weeks, in that moment, around the 20 week mark, we can distinguish our mother's voice from any other voice. So we're genetically coded to do that for survival. Mm. At 32 weeks, you can distinguish Beethoven from Bon Jovi. Mm. Yet the minute we are born and come into the world, our very birth sign is us screaming because we want to be noticed. We want to announce to the world that we are here. And then we spend the rest of our life trying to get noticed by talking. So all I'm asking the world to do is go back to what your birthright is and listen a little bit more than you talk and you'll be surprised with the big changes that you want to make. Okay. And so obviously at a, at a high level, I get that. I've been taught that in sales training. I, you know, I, I listen more than you talk, but it's more than that, right? It's how I'm listening. That is where most of us are not doing it as deeply as you're helping people do so, correct? Yeah. And what frustrates me again, um, if you think about those training courses where you were taught how to listen I can guarantee you, you didn't go on one sales course that taught you how to listen. There would have been this flippant, um, glib statement. You have two ears and one mouth, use them in that proportion. And that would be the extent of your listening training. Yeah. Or it was more about uh, how to prepare to respond more than really listening, right? Yeah. So, you know, we we talk about deep listeners at five levels. This will talk to how to think about listening in a way that will start to transform what you hear as well as how they feel heard. So the five levels of listening that you need to think about are the first level of listening is counterintuitive. And there in the 80s, there was this movement called the active listening movement. And that kind of hung around a little bit into the 90s. And there's lots of great literature out there. But the, the active listening movement taught everybody to focus on the speaker. And although that's useful, it's not productive. It's not potent. So level one is actually listen to yourself. You can't be available to listen to the other person if you're playing a story or a movie or a conversation in your head about where you've come from, about where you're going to, about the shopping list that you have to finish before you get home this evening, about the travel schedule, about the historic intersection you have with this person. If your mind is full of a bunch of jibber-jabber and noise, you're not available for listening for the other person. Listening is hard enough without you having a movie playing on in your head. And most of us don't take the time to pause before we speak to somebody else. So listening to yourself is the first step in becoming a deeper listener. And if you want three practical things that we can all do to become better listeners at that level, number one, remove the distractions. A cell phone, a laptop, an iPad, a tablet, all these things are designed deliberately by the software industry to distract you. The red dots are designed. There's a lot of psychology behind a red dot on a laptop or a, or a cell phone 
to get your interest. The same with the buzz and the same with the sounds when they send messages to you as well. I was I was hosting 10 small business CEOs for a visiting exec from Seattle. They basically travel the best part of 24 hours from Seattle to Sydney. And I was hosting them in a room in Melbourne, which is a city about a thousand miles away from Sydney. And just as Peter was about to sit down, he stood up, he apologized, he took his cell phone out of his checker pocket and put it in his bag over in about three, four feet away in the room. He said, the most important thing I have to give you right now is my attention. Forgive me. Now, Henry, what do you think happened with the other 10 CEOs in the room <laughs> with their cell phones in the moment that Peter did that? They all followed suit, I, I imagine. Yeah, seven out of 10 people did exactly the same thing. And you, when people spoke, you could hear a pin drop. There wasn't no ping pong match happening with ideas bouncing across the room. There was very deliberate thinking going on. There was very deep listening going on. And yet for most of us, we're walking around carrying these devices and completely unconscious of the attention it draws away from the conversation. So tip number one, remove those distracting devices. There is nothing more. If you're going to visit a customer, honestly, there is nothing more important in the world than your attention in that moment. If you want to increase your sales, just show them your complete attention. You'll be delightfully surprised what a difference it makes for them and how they comment on it later on. I've, I've had many customers who've bought from me who said to me, the, the attention you paid to me in that meeting was completely different to anybody else. I just wanted to understand what that was about. Second tip is uh, a hydrated brain is a listening brain. It's really hard to listen. Because we haven't been taught, our, our mind struggles with how to listen. So it does it in a very inefficient way. Now, remember, the brain is only about 5% of our body's mass, yet it consumes nearly 25% of its blood sugar. And if you can get blood sugars to the brain faster, it's more effective at listening. So for every meeting you attend, drink a glass of water during that meeting. Mm. And if you're drinking coffee, you have to drink an extra glass of water for every coffee you have because coffee actually dehydrates you mm. as well. So if you're a regular at Starbucks, grab a glass of water too. So a hydrated brain is a listening brain. And then finally, the deeper you breathe, the deeper you listen. If you can hold your breath for five seconds longer and five seconds deeper, you're going to get more oxygen to the brain. And a brain with more oxygen will perform better and listen better. So at this level, there's a reason opera singers, Olympic athletes and Navy SEALs and snipers all practice a technique called box breathing because mm -hmm. to get high performance, you have to get oxygen into your brain. For most of us, we breathe without no noticing it. We breathe in a really shallow way. Yeah. And as a result, we're not oxygenating our brain as fast as possible. So if you remove distractions, you drink water and you get oxygen to your brain, you've built an extraordinary foundation for you to start the process of listening at the next four levels. Level two, listening to the content. Level three, listening to the context. Level four, listening for what's unsaid. And then level five, listening for meaning. This is Henry Lopez. Before we continue with this episode, I have a few questions for you. Are you struggling with getting started 
or making the transition from your corporate job to starting your own business? Or are you a current small business owner who needs help with managing and growing your business? Are you ready to invest in your future? I invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. Just text BIZCOACH to 31996 for more information. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business dreams and goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner, I understand the challenges you are facing, and often it's about helping you ask the right questions so that you can make progress towards achieving your goals. I can help you get there. To find out more or to schedule your free coaching session, just text BIZCOACH to 31996 now. That's B-I-Z-C-O-A-C-H, BIZCOACH, to 31996. Or visit thehowabusiness.com. But one one thing I want to go back to then, I was wanting you to complete that list. How do I handle though what happens, I know to me a lot, where I'm, I'm either nervous in the situation or anxious, and that's why a million things are running through my head as I'm having a particular conversation. Yeah, and I think this is the bit where we have to embrace our humility and just say to the other party, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous coming into this conversation. And just the act of declaring that will set you at ease. Releases it to an extent. Yeah, because they're human, you're human. They might be enjoying the same emotion at that point in time, Henry. Mm. And I think all of us trying to be um, the polished version of ourselves and having this calm, cool exterior, we're human. We should say we are human. And in doing that, you're going to form a stronger connection with another human who goes, okay, well, they might ask you a question about why you're nervous or they might say I'm nervous too or or something else completely different to uh, explore. But I guess the question is what's the cost of you holding that in versus declaring it in that situation, Henry? Well, I think probably where it comes from is maybe a fear of losing power or position or uh, embarrassment. I'm sure it's a combination of those things. Mm. And yet what I've found in working with a lot of the most senior executives here and around the world is they, they have the same struggles that we do and declaring it creates a human connection mm-hmm. that actually improves the relationship much quicker than trying to be polished and, you know, buttoned down and not showing those kind of emotion. I think for as a lot of us have tried to become robots rather than humans in our business interaction, and yet people who are successful in business, whether you look at the, the landmark kind of Richard Branson's of the world that a lot of entrepreneurs look up to, he admits as many mistakes as he has successes. So, mm-hmm. you know, why, why not? Um, just be honest with who you're speaking to there and just saves you so much time and hassle. Yeah, no, I love that. All right, That's so like wh- telling the truth. It, yeah. It means you don't have to remember anything. Right. And again, it's so in- empowering. When I've done something like that or similar to that, the releasing of that, it, it no longer has a hold on you, right? Um, and it's so, it's like, it's like taking that weight off your back. All right, so when you say deep listening in your writings and, and other content, is that, 
does that mean getting to the fifth level or the uh, I think it's just making progress at each okay. level. We listen simultaneously through all levels of listening. Um, some of us, based on my research, we're pretty much 86% of people are stuck at level one and level two because we don't know how. Uh, only 14% of the 1,410 people in the research study even had language to describe listening for context, which is pattern recognition. It's understanding the backstories. Listening for what's unsaid is an incredibly brave thing that you need to do to help them and you explore what's not discussed. And listening is situational and it's relational. So you'll listen differently. You'll listen at a different level of depth to your family members than you will to a doctor. You'll listen differently to a manager than you will to a customer. You'll listen differently to a peer than you'll listen to a child. So there's a lot of context in, in this deep listening. I, I remember a situation where I interviewed the head of market research for Nike in Japan, and she was talking about the fact that um, she went to a doctor and she went to uh, understand if she was uh, had breast cancer or not. And she was a very fit person, and she believed she didn't. But the moment the doctor said, you have breast cancer, all she could hear was not what the doctor was saying, but the air conditioning in the room and the story in her head about going immediately to denial and going, I'm fit, I'm young, how can I have this? Uh, what about my kids? What about my husband? What about my mum? And a whole conversation went on. And she said she literally probably missed 10 minutes of the treatment part of what's up next hmm. um, because she was completely lost in the conversation. Fortunately, her husband was with her. Mm -hmm. So he was taking notes. Um, but for a lot of us, we don't realize that once we get lost in our story, we're gone. So the thing about deep listening and if there's one thing i'd want you to take away from this today is this simple rule it's called the 125 400 rule we speak at 125 words a minute but we can listen at 400 words a minute so while you are listening to me right now you're filling in the gaps with 300 words per minute if you don't know the five levels of listening you're filling in the gaps because you're driving the car while you're listening to this or you're doing some chores at home or you're commuting on, um, on a plane maybe, but you're not completely focused on the conversation. So, But, but is that because I'm getting distracted because I'm bored or? or yeah, because absolutely. I, okay. Because you're filling, in, you're filling in the 300 words that your mind can listen to I with see. your own self-talk. So this neuroscience basically says you're, if you don't start to listen at all five levels of listening and you all you listen to is the content, within about four seconds of what I'm speaking at, you're going to go, oh, hurry up. Can't mm -hmm. you talk quicker? Mm -hmm. Now, for people who listen to audio books or podcasts, most people can listen at one half time speed and have comprehension. Some people can listen up to two times speed mm. and have comprehension. Blind people can listen up to three times faster and still have comprehension. Interesting. So, so the brain can adapt. The reality is 
if you're trying to make up stories about, I wish he'd talk faster. Gee, he's got a funny accent. He's actually, I talk a little bit slower than most as well. You know, right. if you listen to a cattle auctioneer or a race, mm-hmm. uh, a horse race caller, they're talking at about 200 words a minute. So we drift off. Our, our mind takes us away. We start to build stories about the future or our past. And just knowing that you're going to be distracted is the point of the 125-400 rule. As somebody who practices listening every day, I'm not a better listener than you. But the difference between a recreational listener and a deep listener is a deep listener knows when they're distracted and can get back in the conversation much okay. faster. Okay, that's that's fair. Um, I, I, it popped into my mind as you were talking about some techniques and tips here. One of the things that I've always done, particularly in business meetings, sales meetings, is I, I take notes as I'm listening to the person. And yep. there's various reasons why I do that. Included among those reasons is that I don't have great retention. Maybe that's because I'm not listening well enough, but, but I've always been a note taker. I've always also thought that that is a signal to the person that I am listening. What are your thoughts on that? I've interviewed um, a couple of world memory champions on this very topic and take notes. Absolutely, Henry, really important. It's a good visual signal to the other person that you're acknowledging what they're saying. But the nuance is take more notes graphically and fewer notes verbatim. Mm-hmm. The minute you're taking notes verbatim, and by that I mean you're writing down words, yep. you're shutting down the neural pathway to listening. So although you think you're listening while you're taking notes, and you can do this the next time you have a conversation with somebody, Henry, and you take notes, the minute you start writing, your mind actually can't hear what they're saying next. Yeah, no, I believe that. That, that happens. So use pictures, but use pictures sparingly to just capture concepts because pictures etch in your brain much faster and are much better for recall than verbatim as well. So it will help with the chronology, the path over time of the conversation as well, and a really good visual prompters. Most people who take verbatim notes, 86% of people never go back to them. Interesting. What I've tried to do is I'll do like keywords, uh, but I love the idea of the the visual note taking that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And a a lot of my um, prospective clients comment on that actually during the conversation and ask me what I'm doing. And and I explain to them it's it's for recall and, uh, and the science of graphics embedding in memory faster than uh, words themselves. So, as a signal, it's a great signal. By the way, if you want to understand what a listen, uh, what a speaker thinks a great listener does, they are skewed visually. So the more visual cues mm. you give them about listening, the head nodding, the note taking, are good examples of that. You've just increased the likelihood that they think you're a good listener. Right. The third one out of those is uh, is recall, um, especially when it comes to just the most practical thing, their name. Mm. Okay. 
Wonderful. Great tips. Um, I want to come back to the topic of listening to what's unsaid, because I'm not sure I'm completely getting all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, so talk to me a little bit more about there. What, what are we talking about exactly there about listening to what's unsaid? I mean, I think I get the obvious, right? People speak around things. They hint at things, what they don't say. But, but what are we talking about there that I should be listening for? Yeah, and that, that, that's one dimension of it. The, the bigger dimension is this. If we expand the 125, 400 rule, you speak at 125, you listen at 400 words per minute, but the speaker can actually think at 900 words a minute. So imagine they've got 900 words a minute in their brain, but they can only get out 125 to 150 words a minute. So here's some basic maths. There's a one in nine chance that the first thing that comes out of their mouth is what they're thinking, not what they're hinting at, not because they're trying to be circular, not because they're trying to be cute, not because they're trying to be discreet, but literally they physically can't say what's on their mind. So a great listening question is simply this. Wonder what else you're thinking about on this topic? And then they will use some magical code words. Well, what I'm really thinking about is, or they'll say, what's really important on this topic is, Or the thing I've been thinking about the most is, and when you start to hear these words, Mm. then the idea in their head is starting to get out. I don't know about you, but if you don't listen to the unsaid, there's an 11% chance that what they're saying is what they're thinking. And if you went into a surgery, Henry, with an 11% chance (laughs) of survival, would you be taking that? Yeah, that's not good. So, explore the unsaid consistently in some of some of the work i do i'm very comfortable not only exploring the unsaid by asking the question how long have you been thinking about this what else are you thinking about this but in western cultures north america europe australia we're not really skillful at the use of silence So the other technique you can use to explore how to listen to what's unsaid is to just count to three when they've taken a breath. Most of us jump in way too soon. Mm. So in high context cultures, Japanese, Chinese, Koreans, these people use pauses really elegantly. In fact, the longer the pause, quite possibly the more authoritative you are, the more senior you are in a conversation. Very significant native cultures, the North American Indians, the Australian Aborigines, the New Zealand Maoris, use silence very deliberately in drawing communities together in conversations as well. But I don't know how comfortable you are with silence, Henry. Oh, no, I I use it as a technique all the time. In fact, it's something, of course, I've had to develop even more so as a podcast host. But I I, I think I was fortunate to have have been taught the value of that in sales and even in negotiations. I'm consistently amazed at how when you pause, people will begin to tell you things they weren't planning to tell you. Or it's things they were planning to tell you but never had the space to do it in. That could be that could be as well. Yeah. So I think I think for for all of us we, we struggle to get this really well articulated, elegant, 
example of what's in our mind. So with 900 words bouncing around in our head, it's like a washing machine on wash <laughs> cycle. It's sudsy, it's dirty, it's full of movement, and it's not, it's not great. But once we get to rinse cycle, which is when we speak, you've got some clear water coming in and everything seems a lot brighter, it's a lot clearer, it's a lot cleaner. So use the simple question, I wonder what else you're thinking about on this topic, or I'm curious what else we need to explore more on this topic, and then just be comfortable with sitting in silence, just count to three and pause a little bit longer. Great tips, great actionable tips. And I was going to ask, you know, where, where can I start? But I think that's a great place to start with developing our listening levels, just that technique alone. Would you agree? Yeah, if, if there's one thing that I'd love everyone to take away, it's the 125-400 rule. And the ultimate ninja move of listening is so counterintuitive. It's listening to what's unsaid. If you can listen to what's unsaid, not only do you unlock the potential in them, but you unlock the potential in what you're actually discussing together as well. By the way, as the listener, you have a whole bunch of unsaid in your head as well because you're in a dialogue Mm -hmm. during the conversation as well. So that moment of silence, it's not only helping the speaker, it's helping you as a listener collect your thoughts as well. Absolutely. Which I think in the end then is going to help you as the speaker better transfer that knowledge or information because I'm you're allowing me space within which to process it, clarify, ask questions, whatever it might be. And the cost of not doing that, if you think about it through projects, um, projects run over uh, budget because people don't take the time to listen and understand exactly what people are talking about. So that's really critical. In sales, it's missed opportunities because you don't understand who your actual competitors are. Most people know that when they go into a selling scenario, but what they don't understand is who the unobvious competitors are. Uh, about 11 years ago, I was working with an organization in New Zealand. They had won the technology bid. It was coming towards the end of the financial year and they'd beaten the obvious competition, the competitors that they competed against the most. But when it came to getting the order, they spoke to the CFO and the CFO said, look, unfortunately, at this time of the year, we have to rank everything we're going to spend money on. And this year, our, our toilet paper provider has given us a bulk deal, which provides us with enough toilet paper for the next two years at a price that's effectively half of what we're paying right now. <laughs> and the budget we're going to use to pay for that is the technology budget. Now, I'm sure there were hand towels in there as well, not just toilet paper. <laughs> but the reality was because they didn't understand who else they were competing against in a business case context, they lost that deal. Yeah. Now, they eventually sold the deal, but it took nearly a year and a half later for that deal to get funded. But if they would have listened to what's unsaid, so they would have asked the question, who are we competing with? Mm -hmm. The other question might have been, in terms of the business case for this technology, what other business cases are there in the business right now? Mm -hmm. Now, the reality is it was such a good deal, it's unlikely that they would have been able to beat the toilet paper deal. 
but they also would have been able to forecast more accurately and divert resources to try and find other sales in that period of time. So sometimes by listening to the unsaid, you're going to find things that aren't obvious. If you're in the other part of unsaid though, Henry, is in team meetings. Often we hear from the people who speak the most. Listening to the unsaid is drawing out everybody in the conversation. And it's often the people who speak the least who have the deepest thoughts and a skillful leader will draw that out as well. So if yeah. you're visiting a customer and there's three or four people in the room and the more senior or the more outgoing speaks, try and be deliberate in drawing what's unsaid from others in the room. So the unsaid in a one-on-one is obvious, but the unsaid in a group setting is even more powerful. Agreed. Agreed. Great insights there. All right. We'll have to start to wrap it up because I can go on for another couple hours on this, but we're not going to. (laughs) I'm going to spend a lifetime on it, mate. (laughs) I know it. I hear you. So um, summarize for us the services that you currently offer your clients. Uh, Look, it's really simple. I help them understand the commercial cost of not listening and I help them to become deeper listeners. I do that through speaking. I do that through training. I do that through my books. I do that through training courses that have uh, playing cards and jigsaw puzzles and all sorts of fun adult learning in place as well. Going forward, I'm also going to be developing some software um, that Mm. helps people measure how poor or how great a listener they are and create an online training course. I've literally spent the month of January welded to the chair I'm in Mm. right now, (laughs) designing and writing and co-creating with some customers an online course to help them understand uh, how to move from an unconscious listener to a deep and impactful one. That's exciting. Exciting stuff. All right. uh, Book recommendations besides your own. Uh, Is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend? Oh, I'm just absolute. I've read this book three times since it's come out and it only came out in November. Atomic Habits by James Clear. It is so well written. I read many books, but there is an art in uh, explaining a complex topic in a really elegant and actionable way. And James Clear has nailed this in his book. I've loved it. Uh, reading it once. I've loved reading it twice. I'm in the middle of reading it for the third time. Mm. And it breaks down change into really actionable things. And the one thing I took out of it is the role of your environment in creating change for you. So if if you're trying to lose weight and you're surrounded by chocolate, you're probably going to fail. And if you're trying to lose weight and you're surrounded by people who walk every morning, you're probably going to succeed. So the role of environment was fascinating for me and how environment can help to change habits was a potent thing for me that came out of the book. I'd highly recommend James Clear and Atomic Habits. Thanks. Thanks for that recommendation. We'll have a link to it as well as to Oscar's book, Deep Listening, Impact Beyond Words and Breakthroughs, How to Confront Your Assumptions. We'll have links to those on the show notes page for this episode at thehowofbusiness.com. You you very clearly articulated what is usually my wrap-up question, the one thing you want us to take away from this conversation, and I I think I get it. It's the 125-400 rule, right? Yeah, if you can remember that they speak four times slower than you can listen and that you're going to be distracted the minute you're distracted, just be okay with that and come back into the conversation. Be humble. I say this really often. Hey, I've just got a bit distracted. Do you mind saying that again? And they won't be offended. 
um, they'll actually go, wow, they're being honest with me and the conversation will move forward in a much more powerful way. Yeah, I love that. I love that tip in particular. Great. Uh, Oscar, where do you want us to go online to find out more? Look, if you want to learn more about listening and you're listening on your podcast application, just type in deep listening right now and you can get that. Or you can type Oscar Trimboli into Google and that'll take you to the only Oscar Trimboli in the world. <laughs> and uh, you can find out more about about the books, the pine cards, the jigsaw puzzles and uh, many other things as it relates to becoming a deep and powerful listener. Fantastic. Oscar, this has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, I tried to listen best I could, and I, I could chat with you for another couple hours. Hopefully, we'll get you back on the show at another point in time. But thanks for sharing and for being with us this morning. Thanks for listening. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today, again, was Oscar Trimboli. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. You can also just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996 to receive more information. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.